This is Comic Shenanigans, episode 47, Comic Reviews for the week of December the 23rd. Welcome back to Comic Shenanigans. This is episode number 47, and we're looking today at uh, comics that were released on the week of January the 23rd, and we're just kind of going to go through some of the issues that came out. There was actually a lot of books that came out. I think uh, I was looking at the listing for the big two, and I think it was close to 40 books, so it was quite a large week. Um, I only got a chance to go through about 20 or so, partially because of time, partially just because of interest. Um, I do my very best to try and read as much as possible, but sometimes some books just aren't all that interesting, to be honest, and so we, I, I, sometimes I end up reviewing a little bit less than I would like to, uh, just because some of the books aren't as engaging or as interesting as they could be. So the first book we're going to take a look at this week, sorry, and I just realized I didn't even introduce myself. For those who haven't actually listened to this show before, I'm Adam Chapman, your host, um, and we, we have a weekly review episode for comics that came out this week, and then we also have a, usually a special topic or theme episode that's usually up on Wednesdays. So this is going up on Sundays. Obviously, people who've been following along the last few weeks have known that I've been late every single week, and it's come up on Mondays instead. So finally this week it's coming up on Sunday. Uh, and then on this coming Wednesday, episode 48, will be the uh, Talking Heroclix episode, where we're going to be talking about uh, the amazing Spider-Man Heroclix set that's coming out soon, and I'll be sitting with my guests uh, Nathan Strzok and Leonor Alana. Uh, the next week, episode 49, will be the review episode, and then episode 50, not quite sure what we're going to be doing for episode 50, hopefully something big and exciting, uh, or at least something interesting and engaging. Anyways, let's jump into this week's books, and the first book that we have to look at is A plus X number 4. For the most part, I've been enjoying this book uh, since it started getting published. I mean, it's been a little bit on and off, and I think that's just the nature of the book in general. I mean, it is a team-up book. You got an X character and an Avengers character. Uh, the teaming up, you have a rotating list of different uh, creative teams. So just the the very nature of the beast is that some books are going to be you know very different from uh, the, the next. Uh, the first story here is uh, with the Beast and Amazing Spider-Man by Kari Andrews, and the uh, second story is Captain America and Quentin Quire, written by Jason Latour and art by David Lopez. Um, now, the first story I really didn't like at all. I didn't like the art uh, that um, Andrews put together. Actually, I, I'll take that back. I like some of the art effects. I like the backgrounds. I like the the, the dots that are used. I like certain aspects of that part of the art, but the way that Spider-Man actually looks, as well as the Beast, and the general tone of the story, I just didn't like it, didn't care for it. They're on a different, weird, I guess, future, and they're all beast cat people and i just found this really hard to get through hard to care couldn't wait for the second story that being said second story a lot better i thought it was a lot interest a lot more interesting having captain america team up with quentin choir it's such an odd team up but you know what it works because you have one guy being just such a snarky dick and obviously that's quentin choir and captain america just being so captain america Captain America-ish, if that makes any sense. Like, he's just... They play up him being, like, the star-spangled Avenger, the, you know, the the ultimate good guy, to contrast against this kind of punk from today. And I like the ending of that story, too, which I won't actually spoil. Usually I do do spoilers, but you don't need to have the spoiler to know what that story's about. So I actually found it quite interesting and engaging. If only the first story had been anywhere near as good. So I gave it a 6 out of 10, 
Because as much as I really enjoyed the second story, the first story was terrible. And I think it was longer, so I just did not like it at all. Uh, speaking of Avengers, though, it brings us to Avengers number 3, which I gave it a 9 out of 10. Uh, I really dug this. Now, the only, only problem with this issue, and it's not even a problem, it's more of a criticism... Um, is that it almost seemed to be over a little bit too fast. But you have, it's written by Jonathan Hickman with art by Jerome Pena. Um, I do like the sensibility that there's something that they, uh, yes, the Avengers are getting bigger, but that Hickman has something big in mind. That's what's more exciting about this. The fact that Hickman has a plan, and uh, it just, I cannot wait to see what comes next. Um, I love that we have a, a very different Avengers squad here. We don't necessarily see it explained as to what, when all these people became Avengers, but we see Hyperion, we see Captain Universe, we see Cannonball and Sunspot. Um, it kind of, it's interesting, I kind of feel two ways about this. On the one hand, it's kind of like, well, I'd like to, I wish they would explain some of this stuff. I wish they'd explain how these people got drafted onto the team. However, usually when they take the time to do that kind of stuff, which is what Bendis is always kind of big on doing, is showing how things were created, is that I would kind of be illustrate as Sorry, not illustrated. I'd kind of be annoyed at it because it felt like we didn't get into the actual story for so long because we were too busy with the setup. Whereas here we're just jumping right in. So I'm of two minds because part of me is like, well, I wish we were getting an idea of what was actually happening. But at the same time, I'm glad we're just kind of jumping into the action. Um, so they're fighting these these godlike characters on Mars. Um, and they, have, they have to save the, the quote-unquote movie Avengers and using this new big Avengers team which is, uh, you know, starting, it's kind of struggling to find its way in terms of the teamwork with this team, but I really enjoyed it. Again, the Jerome Opinion artwork is brilliant. Uh, this could be the book, this is the book to beat for me. I mean, I know that Uncanny Avengers was kind of the flagship first book out of the gate. This is the Marvel Now book, but then it stopped coming out. <laughs> it kept getting delayed, um, and to be honest, I wasn't a huge fan of the first couple issues, so I didn't care as much that it was taking so long, because this Avengers book, which is bi-weekly, is my Avengers book. It and New Avengers are extremely good, extremely engaging, and those are the Avengers books I want to be reading, more than of Uncanny Avengers. I feel like Uncanny Avengers is the continuity book that feels like it's actually coming after everything that's come before it. I mean, obviously Avengers does too, and so does New Avengers, but in a very different way, because it almost feels very insular, that it doesn't necessarily have to have been after ABX. It could have been after a big event of some kind that made the Avengers change the way they looked at it. Um, obviously, Black Panther and Namor's interactions in New Avengers are very specific to how they came out of AVX, but, but not as much as Uncanny Avengers, which is very much, okay, this is the Marvel Universe after AVX, let's jump into this. Uh, Avengers doesn't feel like it has that kind of time stamp to it, that it has to occur after this particular event. Anyway, I really enjoyed Avengers 3. It was a great read. I gave it a 9 out of 10. Well deserved. Uh, next up is Batwoman number 16. I find this book... Very confusing and frustrating, because I feel like the story takes forever to unfold. That being said, it it is gorgeous. What, what you're actually getting on the page is extremely enjoyable. Um, although at times, again, the story's not exactly clear what's happening. And it feels like it's so insular. It's so, like, this book does not like, kind of touch any other book. It, it is its own beast, its own thing. And that, that's, that's both good and bad. Um, but I like Batwoman... Teaming up with Diana, I like how Diana's written here, which is feels very different from how she's written both in her own book and in Justice League. Um, but 
you know, this is pretty good stuff. Uh, the artwork is done by J.H. Williams III, so that's one of the reasons why it's it's such a visually stunning book. Uh, you have uh, Colors by Dave Stewart. Uh, it's co-written by J.H. Williams III and W. Hayden Blackman. Um, I just kind of feel like the story needs to get to the point a little faster. because And I do like that there's a lot of two-page spreads, and it's very, like, it, this is a spread-out book. Um... But, it's, but the story is confusing, and I also feel like because it's been going on a while, or at least it feels that way, it feels more confusing as a result. Because not only is it kind of a weird esoteric kind of story, it's also taking a long time to get to the point. So the longer you stretch that out, the more the more I start to forget what's been happening. I mean, like I I, I admit this freely. My my memory is not what it used to be, but still, like comic books. The whole idea of a serial storytelling, you shouldn't be able to easily forget what's been happening in the last few issues. Now, granted, if you read enough books and it, you know, if there's a delay, which there hasn't been on this book at least, it can be, it can happen, but it's, you know, not something you want to have happen. It's kind of the worst case scenario for a serial comic book reader. I gave it a 7 out of 10 because it's not a bad book. I just feel like it's kind of lost its way a bit. Uh, speaking of an amazing, not, not speaking of an amazing book, but from switching gears to a truly spectacular book, uh, Before Watchmen number six, um, I would say to people who were very skeptical about Before Watchmen, the number one book you should give a chance on reading, because it's so phenomenal, is uh, Minutemen. Uh, Before Watchmen Minutemen is the only book of, I think, the bunch, and I've read most of them, uh, that I, I need to have on my shelf, either as a hardcover or a tra- or a softcover, whatever they end up coming it out with it as, because I feel like it it manages to succeed on its own, but if you know more about the character, it does even better. Like, it tells a full, complete story in a way that the others don't, and I think part of that's because we didn't really get much of the story of these characters, of the Minutemen, of the old Night Owl, uh, in Watchmen, because it was about the newer generation, and we saw glimpses of the older generation, but it wasn't the f- primary focus. So I think part of here we feel like we got a more of a complete story, whereas the other ones, it's kind of just filling in the blanks to get the character to where they are during the true story, like the true Watchmen story. Because the other stories just feel like important installments in their lives, but not the not the most important. Whereas Watchmen's kind of the end of all these characters' lives. Yeah, obviously, it's the end of Hollis Mason's life too, but. Uh, who's the original Night Owl, the star of, Win- of Minutemen, but uh, it, his story was kind of already over. Like, he was an old man, he was retired, he was, he was still in the narrative, but he had stopped being as important as he is here uh, in this book. This is a book where he's still a hero doing the good fight, and... Um, it's the last few issues have just been so motivated and so and here you get that just when you think everything's over you get the big reveal about what was really going on and it kind of changes the the how the character moves on in his life from that point um i i love this book uh, darwin cook is the only artist i think who really could have nailed the stylistic visuals i mean he he has such an old-timey kind of classic visual look uh as anyone who's ever read dc new frontier uh, that is a, a, a very incredible, engaging book, but I think if he took his art out of it, I don't know if it would be nearly as enjoyable. There's something about that old-timey, good-natured quality of the artwork. It, it's hard to put real words to it, but there's just something very pleasant about it. Like, a lot of modern comics, they want it to be more dynamic and uh, stark and have some kind of... Uh, kind of look, make it look badass or cool. And there's just something about the graceful, almost... Um, uh, soft line work 
that we see in before watching Minutemen that makes it so cool. Like it's very soft, not soft. It's very round, round faces. There's not a lot of harsh angles, harsh edges. Even when you have the more you know um, strenuous moments, there's still this nice quality to it, and it makes it a much more enjoyable read as a result. Um, so I gave this a nine out of ten. This was just a, an absolute joy to read from beginning to end. Uh, I'm sad this series is over, but I can't wait to own it in the collected version because it it deserves to be collected and deserves to be on your bookshelf right next to, right next to Watchmen. Uh, next up is Birds of Prey number sixteen. This is a book that I feel I'm surprised that I enjoy it as much as I do because it's kind of a weird book and it's a weird team with these characters. I mean, you got Starling and you got uh, Black Canary and Batgirl, and now you have, now you have this uh, I guess they call it Strix or whatever, but really she's a, an owl. Um, I don't, sometimes I don't even know why I enjoy this book, but I really do. It's, the artwork is not always the greatest, and I think it has had better artwork in the past. I, I think the way that they illustrate Batgirl is a little bit all over the place in terms of her um, her cowl and kind of like the, the chin strap look to it that not a lot of other artists actually capture. Um, but this is pretty pretty good stuff. I'm excited to see how this team operates in the, going forward. Uh, obviously, the team's gone through a lot of changes because they've lost Poison Ivy and Katana, um, but I'm I'm really digging this book. It's really cool, interesting stuff. I'm interested to see what exactly is going on with Black Canary and what happens at the end and what that really means. Uh, this this is a, a, a very surprisingly enjoyable book for me, and I dig it. Uh, it was written by Dwayne Swierzynski, sorry, Swierzynski, and artwork by Romano Molinar, who I don't really know and isn't as strong as some of the artwork we've seen in the past but on this book, but still pretty enjoyable, still pretty solid, and, and um, it, it reminds me enough of kind of like the Ed Bennis style that Batgirl's been looking like lately. Uh, so that's an 8 out of 10. Brings us to FF number 3. I'm not a huge fan of this book. I mean, I gave it an 8 out of 10 because it's still enjoyable, but I just, in general, like, I'm not a huge fan of, of Allred on artwork. Although here, it, it's it's fairly enjoyable, and I, I like the the story by Matt Fraction. I like, actually, a lot on how I dealt with Darla Deering here, but I'm more about the main Fantastic Four book as opposed to this one. This one has some intriguing possibilities, but I'm just not a huge fan of the... The concept's okay, I just... I don't know. I'm not. I'm not really won over. I think part of it's also that I really loved what FF was under Hickman uh, as the Future Foundation, and this is more of this is the replacement Fantastic Four because he's basically telling two different Fantastic Four stories as opposed to telling an FF and a Fantastic Four story. If that makes any sense whatsoever, and that's kind of how I feel here. That you know, I want to have more exploration of the of the Future Foundation and not so much on. Scott Lang leading a Fantastic Four that's not the regular Fantastic Four because they're in their different book. Um, but it is what it is. Uh, so Matt Fraction wrote this artwork by Michael Alred with colors by Laura Alred. Uh, it's not bad artwork. It's probably some of the better Alred artwork I've seen. It's definitely quirky and strange, but it does kind of fit. And I like how he makes Charlie doing a kind of look. And there's some odd pages like... Uh, I, I kind of like the layout of the page where Scott Lang jumps out of... Become from small to large, he jumps out and tries to protect Arla Deering, and in the process almost cops a feel. I thought that was actually pretty engaging and, and fun. I like that White Wingfoot was here. Um, this is kind of an interesting book in terms of continuity, prior continuity that is related to the FF. Uh, I'm interested to see where they go with this. 
Um, but again, I'm more a fan of the main Fantastic Four book. I know a lot of people will disagree because they're, they really like Michael Allred and they're really happy he's doing a, kind of a mainstream Marvel book, but I'm not a huge fan of him, and his artwork here is alright, but I'm not just not really feeling it as much. Uh, so that's an 8 out of 10. Next up is Gambit, number 8. Now this is, uh, I don't know what to make of Gambit, because uh, it feels like it never really knows what it wants to be. Is it him being a thief? Is it him being a kind of a, an international man of mystery superhero? I don't really know. Here he's more of a kind of secret agent kind of style, going to rescue an ESU uh, Department of Ar- Archaeology uh, class that ended up getting lost in the Forever City and potentially part of them killed and some of them mutated. Um, it's alright. It's kind of a, an interesting done in one. I don't really think that the book is all that engaging. The cover's kind of ridiculous because you have, of course, the uh, ridiculously beautiful and stacked uh, teacher uh, for this ESU group. Why not? You know, Gambit needs, you know, some hot people to interact with, <laughs> I guess. Um, the artwork is by, let's see, it's penciled by David uh, Baldion and Clay Mann. Uh, it's hard to know, uh, there's a lot of clay man, I don't know what, what, which pieces David, uh, Baldion actually put together. There's a lot of inks here, though, so that makes the book a little bit more inconsistent, because you got Pascal Ferry, who I didn't know really did a lot of inks, uh, Scott Hanna, with Jordi Tarragona, and, and clay man, so there's a lot of people kind of involved in the colors. It's written by James Asmus, he's got a clear sense of who he want, what he wants his title to be, I feel, but... It doesn't come off that way with each issue because each issue feels stylistically different. So although I think he is like, I've got a plan. This is what I want to do with this. I don't think it really carries that through. Um, I'm hoping we get more of a sense, like, where are they going to go with this? Because we had the first issue, first couple issues, and then he was with that weird, you know, kind of Lara Croftian chick, and then he was working for Sitch, and then he was busted by MI-13, and now he's kind of working on the on the good side again. I just feel like this book is schizophrenic. It needs to decide what it wants to be and who it wants the main character to be and then just decide that and then move on from there because it hasn't made that decision at all and I find that very frustrating. Uh, Next up is Green Lantern, number 16. What I love about uh, DC scheduling is that fact that you've got three different Green Lantern books. Let's put them all out in one week. (laughs) Like, what kind of sense does that make at all? This week, we had saw the release of Green Lantern 16, Green Lantern Core 16, and Green Lantern New Guardian 16. Seriously? We need three... There's three books. They could be one in each week. Uh, well, not in each week, because there's not four. But, I mean, you almost have, basically, like, a weekly GL-related book. But, no, they're going to push all three out in the same week. That is ridiculous. Um, Green Lantern 16, I gave it a 7.5 out of 10. I think the artwork was the main detraction for me. The story was actually not bad. I like that we're getting more of a... It's getting back on track because you have Badge shows up, which really isn't he just like a chip knockoff or a chip stand-in. Uh, I do like that last year in the Robot Chicken DC Comics uh, special, Badge was shown up there and they're making fun of him, and now he's uh, in this book. Um, so we're getting more we're more uh, exploration of Simon Baz as a character, so I'm glad about that, uh, him teaming up with Chip. Uh, him basically trying to make amends and save his uh, his brother. Um, really cool stuff. And him also finding out more about, again, about what it means to be a Green Lantern. His kind of trial by fire to become a Green Lantern. Uh, learning more about what happened to Hal Jordan and Sinestro. Uh, finding, actually finally understanding what their messages were. Really cool stuff. Um, if only it kind of hadn't taken this long to get here. 
Uh, now, in terms of the creative team, so it's penciled by Doug Monk, Monkey, and it's written by Jeff Johns. Okay, great. Now, inkers. There are five inkers on this book. Christian Alami, Keith Champagne, Tom Nguyen, uh, Mark Irwin, and Doug Monkey himself. That makes this book incredibly frustrating because every there's no sense of visual consistency at all. And plus, you have two different colorists, Tony Avina with Alex and Claire. So you've got two different colorists. You've got, what did I say, five different inkers. Um, they, there is no visual consistency here because... You have certain pages look scratchier, and then you have much more softer line work because the inker isn't over-inking, and then you have more, uh, almost over, and again, more pages of over-inking, and then the colors don't quite fit. Uh, I like the story a lot. I like the badges here. I liked how Sam Baz was written here and how he was kind of confronting what's happened in the last few issues to kind of move beyond that and have become a Green Lantern. That's all cool. I actually thought that was really neat, and I like that... There's that last page where, uh, not the last page, but where the government agent calls Waller. So that's obviously leading into him being included on the Justice League of America that's coming out soon. So I like all of that stuff. It's just the artwork failed um, because there was an inconsistent, er, sorry, in, there was an inconsistency with the artwork because of the inks. So I gave the book a seven and a half out of ten. Green Lantern Corps, uh, number sixteen, I gave that an eight out of ten. I really dug this book. I've liked the focus on Green uh, Green Lantern, sorry, on Guy Gardner, who's not a Green Lantern anymore, technically speaking. Uh, here we have Peter J. Tomasi writing with Fernando Pissarro and on artwork with Scott Hannon on inks. Uh, Simon Baz then makes the jump from Green Lantern to Green Lantern Corps to kind of show up and help Guy Gardner. Uh, I enjoyed the artwork, enjoyed the story, enjoyed, uh, I don't care about the Third Army stuff, but it was kind of interesting how they brought, they're finally tying things together in an actual crossover way that the Guardians are sending, uh, the, the Third Army after Guy Gardner, so Simon Vaz kind of comes to his rescue, plus they're kind of deciding, like, they have to save Guy Gardner, they're also going to have to decide, like, how are they going to find Hal Jordan and Sinestro, how do they make sure that they can stop the, um, uh, the Third Army. Then on this issue, you also have Jon Stewart and uh, Fatality, the former Fatality, now a Star Sapphire, looking for the pieces of Mogo, which I thought was really awesome. Uh, it feels like we're kind of getting somewhere finally. It's too bad it took this long. Um, but it'd be interesting. And plus, I also liked the explanation as to why Simon Baz carries a gun. Uh, kind of interesting that, you know, he's basically saying, I need to have this gun because what if my ring runs out of a charge? I don't want to be defenseless. Given how he was written in his own book and how that basically is exactly what happened, that's kind of interesting and a cool way of looking at it. So, the, it all ends, this Rise of the Third Army, which, again, doesn't feel like much of a crossover and it just was kind of happening and now it's, now it's gonna end! And it just never really felt like a real storyline at all. It ends next week in... Green Lantern Corps Annual Number One, which is apparently the epic finale, and then next month we'll have Wrath of the Awful Lantern because they can't let these books exist on their own. They need some sort of crossover, even when it's terrible. Um, so I gave that an eight out of ten. Next up is Green Lantern New Guardians. I gave it a six and a half out of ten because this book feels schizophrenic, doesn't really know what it wants to be. Um, I don't understand the chronology for the history of of Kyle Rayner being a Lantern because of certain memories that they show, and him being with character, like, I think it's Tomar Ray here, not Tomar 2, and Nort's here, like, when was Kyle Rayner, first of all, Kyle Rayner doesn't even look like Kyle Rayner in these flashbacks, 
But having all these Green Lanterns hanging out and wishing them happy birthday, I don't think there was ever really a chance or a time for them to actually all get together and do this. Plus, in some of the panels, uh, Kyra actually looks like Sinestro because they, they do this weird illustration of his face and some of the lines. that Instead, the line that they're trying to use to show the contours of his face actually looks more like a mustache. So it doesn't look work as well. Seeing uh, Kyle become, I guess, basically a White Lantern Kind of weird and interesting as well. I'm not sure how you feel about that because don't you need the white actual lantern to become white lantern? Like, and not just harnessing all the powers. All it doesn't it makes he's basically being Rainbow Man. But they're saying, oh wait, being Rainbow Man gives you the ability to be the White Lantern. What? I give this a six and a half out of ten. It doesn't feel as interesting or as um, important and essential to the overall storyline of the Rise of the Third Army, if you can call any part of it essential. Uh, than the other two books, the Green Lantern Corps and Green Lantern. Of the three Green Lantern-related books that came out, uh, I gave this one a 6.5 out of 10, so it was the lowest ranking. So it was 7.5 for the regular, 8 for Core, 6.5 for New Guardians. Brings us to Justice League number 16, which is part 3 of the Throne of Atlantis story. This is a great-looking book. I feel like, finally, this this feels more like uh, a Justice League story I'd actually want to read. Uh, it's written by Jeff Johns with artwork by Ivan Reyes, and uh, you have Gary Frank doing the backup of Shazam, which I'm still, I kind of wish they'd just done a miniseries. Um, I also want to point out there is an alternate cover, I'm not sure, sh- or a variant cover. I'm not sure who did the art, but it is so goofy. I guess if you know it, you'll know it. Um, it has Aquaman and Ocean Master kind of squaring off with their two tridents, and it just looks silly. Um, lumpy, weird artwork, weird facial expressions, whatever. So you get to the issue, and it is so well illustrated. The artwork by Evan Reyes is so on point. In fact, perhaps better than when he was on Aquaman. Uh, you have Aquaman kind of facing off against the Justice League a little, and facing off against his brother. Um, this is just an awesome book. You have the, the the Atlantean army starts to attack. The Justice League has to kind of fight against them. You have Cyborg kind of trying to be like, okay, I, I need this upgrade. It's going to take me out of the game for a few days or for some time, but I really need to get this update upgrade to my body so I can go and fight in the water, um, which is really, really cool. And they're saying it's going to take a few hours for them to do that. So he's like, I'm going to have to basically ask for other people to join the league temporarily and and uh, because the, this, this threat is necessary for it. However, who he asked to be on the Justice League is so dumb. Element Woman? Okay, that one I understand based on the threat makes sense. Green Arrow? Really? The entire Justice League was just dragged to the bottom of the ocean or into the water. So you're going to bring Green Arrow, a guy who only has arrows, against, and I know he's skilled and I love Hawkeye, so I understand the love of archers, but still, someone just neutralized Aquaman and Wonder Woman and Superman took out the three biggest guns. I'm going to bring in Green Arrow. That makes sense. Black Lightning, I guess, because he could electric... I guess, like, he could blow up... I guess he could just uh, uh, electrocute people by touching the water, but I don't know if that's necessarily helpful. Uh, Shazam, he's not really a character yet. And how do they even have a way of getting in touch with him? I don't know. Doesn't make any sense. Hawkman, again, not that helpful against water-based uh, villains, but whatever. Gold Rush, don't even know who that is. Zatanna, God, I hate this new 52 costume. Um, but yeah, she could be helpful. Vixen could be helpful too. Black Canary not as helpful underwater. Firestorm could be extremely helpful. Just it's just kind of a weird decision. Um, in the backup, we have Black Adam and Shazam, and Shazam kind of then turning back into Billy and running away from Black Adam. 
it's all right. I'm, I feel like it's just going on too long. I feel like it needs to be condensed. I think the problem is that we, we're getting one installment every month. And this is not a nine-month story. Uh, it's much shorter than that. But because it's being... Str- like, backups work best if they're one-offs. Or if they have something to do with the main lead, which they've been doing in the Death of the Family backups. Or if, you know, it's like maybe three installments. And it's kind of, you know, you get a little piece of it and then it's over. But I don't want this to be going on forever. It's just, it's too long. And I, I, I can't remember what it was, but I think they've announced that there's a backup in Just League of America as well. And I'm just like, oh, great. It's, it's going to be the same problem. It's the same writer. Um, overall, though, I give this book an 8 out of 10. It was really enjoyable. Good characterization for uh, the Justice League, except for that last page, which doesn't make a lot of sense. I really enjoyed the artwork by Ivan Reyes. Actually, to be honest, I'm actually going to elevate this to maybe an 8.5 slash 9 out of 10. I really dig dig this book. It's more than I've enjoyed any Justice League up till now. I'm enjoying the Throne of Atlantis storyline. This is pretty enjoyable. That brings us to Nightwing number 16. Um, This is a pretty good read overall. It's part of the death of the family. It's very intense. It's this. I like the idea that Nightwing's basically grappling with Batman lied, Joker knows who we are, or does he? Or doesn't he? Or does he? Or doesn't he? And then going to Halle Circus and kind of confronting that it's being dis- destroyed, and a lot of the people he thought he saved have been um, uh, taken over by basically like Joker viruses. It's extremely violent issue, but um, it, it, it just it's really enjoyable as well. It's it, really putting Nightwing through his paces in a big way. The artwork is in, is extremely good. I mean, this is. This is a this is what you want a, a Nightwing book to look like. I mean, it's written extremely well um, by um, who wrote this. Let me just double check the, the credits. Usually, I have this issue up before I start talking about it. Kyle Higgins, yeah, still writing Nightwing, doing a great job. Eddie Barrows and artwork. He just gets better and better. Um, this is a really a tour de force on putting the current Nightwing through his paces and. Him kind of trying to protect those around him and realizing that as much as he thought he was able to outthink the Joker, or at least get the people he loves out of harm's way, he just played right into Joker's hands. And it's it's very, very well done. I give this an 8.5 out of 10. It was a great read. Uh, next up is Red Hood and the Outlaws. Interesting book. <laughs> I'll say that. It's basically a team-up with the Teen Titans. Uh, and I actually kind of dug that. i still not a huge fan of how these characters are written in this new... 52, but whatever. You kind of get a good over it at one point. Uh, or at some point, sorry. So, Scott Lobdell wrote this with artwork by Timothy Green II. The artwork by Green is actually extremely good. I mean, there's some weird perspective issues and sometimes the anatomy doesn't quite work and it's a little bulky, but I think part of what makes it work for me or makes me enjoy it is the colors. Um, I think the colors were actually extremely well done here. And that made the book a little bit more palatable. That sounds odd, but um, Blonde does the colors with ink, uh, inks by Wayne Foucher, and I think both of them were combined to make it a very sleek look. Uh, interested to see kind of where the book goes. I like that the, these two teams are teaming up. I like that it wasn't a perfect team up. There were some issues, and kind of like, who do you think you are to be telling us what to do? You don't even have powers. You're just wearing a baseball cap. Um, interesting. And I'm interested to see how Deathstroke is eventually going to be tying up with this book as well, because I like. I kind of like Deathstroke being a villain and not just having his own book and being more of a hero. Um, so in two weeks, we have Red Hood uh, facing Red Robin in Teen Titans 16. And who knows what the next issue of Red Hood is going to be. Because it says, you must not miss the next issue when we put the Red and Red Hood. 
Yeah, okay, whatever. Uh, so I gave this issue of Red Hood and the Outlaws an 8 out of 10. Again, some really strong DC offerings this week. Uh, this brings us to Uncanny Avengers number 3. I did not really like this at all. I found this book to be just... Uh, the artwork is not the best by um, John Cassidy. I found the... I. I'm not a big fan of how he illustrates the newest Captain America outfit, uh, or how ridiculous and overly cartoony, which I guess is the point, but how over-cartoony the Red Skull looks. Uh, Rick Remender, I'm not really enjoying his his story here either. Um, I don't know, I just feel like this should have been something different for the first big arc. And having the stupid S-Men, um, I don't really like how Rogue and Scarlet Witch's costumes look, at, or they don't even look like costumes, they just look like silly clothes. Um, I did like how you have uh, Captain America and Havoc kind of disagreeing a bit, but, you know, he's basically said to, sorry, Captain America said to Havoc that you are the leader, so Havoc kind of is being the leader. Um, I don't know. I just didn't really care much for it. You have Red Skull kind of rampaging, and this is kind of the worst-case scenario of really powerful mutant taking control of people and kind of forcing his will upon them, which is uh, a will of hatred and... Uh, hating those who are different, and there's a lot of kind of murder here by, of innocence by these groups that have been mind-controlled. I just, this just didn't work for me. I gave it a 6 out of 10 because I just, I read it, and I was like, well, I'm glad that's over and I can read something else. Like, I read Avengers first, and I shouldn't have. I should have read this first and then gone to Avengers because going from Avengers to Uncanny Avengers felt like such a letdown. You go from this great book by Hickman and Opeña to a really surprisingly bland and unenjoyable book by Remender and Cassidy. Now, on a technical level, it's still fairly good, well put together in certain instances, but for the most part, I just it didn't connect with me at all as a reader. Um, so I gave that a 6 out of 10. Next up is one of the bigger surprises of this week, was Uncanny X-Force number 1, which you really should read Wolverine and X-Men 24 just to understand why Storm looks this way. Um, that being said, Sam Humphreys wrote it with surprising artwork by Ron Garney. I'm not a huge Ron Garney fan. This didn't even feel like his art. This felt like someone else. Like, he's maybe it's just the the team he's kind of got inking him and, uh, giving, and coloring him is just really, really playing up his strengths. Like, this is one of the best artistic jobs I've seen from Ron Garney in quite some time. Uh, and the team is kind of a weird team, but I'm glad that the way that they write the team makes sense. Like, Psylocke does not like Spiral. Okay, good. I'm glad that they're keeping that. I'm glad that they're playing up certain aspects of, like, the old X-Force is over, and now they're kind of saying, well, what what happened to Psylocke in the meantime? Um, so they have Wolverine kind of kick Psylocke out of the mansion, saying, you know, you got to go find yourself, and kind of directing her to, uh, to Puck. She goes there and meets Puck with Storm. They meet up with Spiral. Um, I'm interested to see what's going to end up happening with the Phantom X as well and how they're going to become involved and also how Bishop's going to be used. I hope to God that at least if Bishop's going to be the villain, that at least they'll do a better job writing them than they did over in Cable when, uh, Swarzynski was writing it. Um, this was such a surprise. The characterization is a huge, huge reason why this issue works that, you know, instead of just being kind of jumping into this is the new X-Force, it's more of the old X-Force is dead. We put it behind us. But then this new team is kind of forming. That's going to be different. It's not with the same mentality. It's it's not with Wolverine on it. And uh, the characters actually do make sense the way that they're going to be written so far. And I like that Storm has the Mohawk back. Um, although I don't necessarily like how she got it back. But that is what it is. 
Uh, so I gave this an eight out of t- eight and a half out of ten. Again, I didn't expect a lot from it. I didn't expect to think that, the, that this new iteration would be nearly as enjoyable as the other one. And uh, it's different. It's not better, but I like it so far. So it is what it is. But it's it's really good. That brings us to Winter Soldier number fourteen, which is Ed Brubaker's last issue in the book, as well as uh, I guess Butch Geis's last issue. This was really. I'm up two minds of this, actually, because I liked it for the most part, but I also feel like it was too easy. It was over too simply. Uh, I felt like it could have been an extra issue. Usually I feel like, you know, these things go on too long, but this time I actually thought it was over too quickly, um, or too easy at least. But you got Brubaker on uh, writing it, Butch Guy some pencils with Brian Thies and inks, and Jordi Belair, who's one of my favorite colors, and uh, Betty Brightweiser doing the colors. Um, I... Even that, just like the first true page of the book, where you just have Bucky riding a bike, it just there's just so much intensity in the colors and how it, they're illustrating like the rain and it just looks awesome. And just having Bucky kind of being the one to go in, charging in because he wants to save Natasha, and then up fighting up against Novikov, uh, extremely brutal and violent fight, but really well done. Uh, again, the artwork is just so on point, and Natasha looks gorgeous in certain parts, and, like, they're having her basically act like a ballerina. Um, it's not uh, heavy on pl- uh, There's a lot of plot, but, like, it's very simple. It's mainly just action. But the idea at the end, uh, and you can kind of see how Brubaker's done, he's setting it up for the new- next writer, that Black Widow now has no idea who Bucky is, and that memory has been basically severed, but everything else is kind of intact. It's very sad, and I really liked Bucky and Natasha together, but also I liked how Brubaker wrote them together, so maybe another uh, writer couldn't have really been able to handle that as well. I do kind of like that, you know, where's he going to go from here? So I do think this is a great spot to set it up for the next writer to kind of do whatever they want to do with Bucky. There's no relationship. There's no real status quo. You can kind of do what you want, um, which is cool. And it does feel like a satisfying resolution, although a sad and bittersweet one. I gave it an 8 out of 10. Again, it was a very enjoyable issue and great artwork and a solid story. I will be sad to see Brubaker go, and I'm worried about who's going to be writing Winter Soldier next because not that I don't think that the next writer could do a good job. It's just he's been writing this character since 2005. I think it's 2004 or 5 uh, is how long he's been writing uh, Captain America or Bucky. Uh, in the book, so it'll be interesting to see what happens with the character now that someone else is going to be able to really mold that character's main adventures. I mean, other people have written the character, obviously. I mean, Daniel Way wrote him in the uh, Wolverine Origins and Endings storyline uh, in the Wolverine book right after Has Been, but it, it'll be interesting to see how people handle him in his own book because this is this is his real status quo, especially now that he doesn't show up anywhere else because everyone thinks he's dead. So the next book is Wolverine and the X Men number twenty four. Uh, I, I don't know what to make of this. Part of this issue was great. Uh, I liked a lot of elements here, but then there's also a lot of stuff I thought was just dumb. Um, so it's kind of, it's it's hard for me to really give a, a good, concise kind of rundown. Um, I don't like uh, Iceman and Kitty Pryde dating, and I'm glad that they kind of abandoned that for the most part, although they do kiss. Uh, I don't like the cover. I don't like Wolverine and Storm making out. That's weird. It just feels like that shouldn't happen for those characters. Um, I don't. It's just I, I like the parts with uh, Edie and Brew and like Quentin Quire kind of being jealous in his own way. So there is some interesting stuff here. It's just I I just don't get it. 
I'm glad that we're not in the the last storyline. I thought was terrible with the whole uh, circus stuff. So I'm glad that we're kind of back to basics. So you got Wolverine kind of having to confront that he's the babysitter this night. Uh, you have Iceman and Kitty on their date. You got Edie visiting Brew. Uh, you have Beast and uh, having a little bit of time to spend with his girlfriend, but he's also looking at. Um, you know, a brood, a brood dissection, so you can know what to do about brew. Uh, you have Sabretooth training uh, Kate Kilgore. You have uh, Quentin Quire being dealing with uh, Jean Grey being at the school and, and him kind of wanting to hit on her, but that's not working <laughs> well. Um, so it, 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 there are some interesting aspects there, and, and Storm and Wolverine having their little danger room session kind of felt very old school X-Men, but again, this felt like yet another issue that felt like it wasn't part of a real storyline. They didn't really know what they were going to do with it. It was just, let's, let's kind of have a nice quiet issue, but they've been doing a lot of these. So I, and then this weird part where Storm goes and has like the shower and it looks like she's kind of disrobing for Wolverine, which is kind of weird. And then apparently with one swipe, he's able to, uh, uh, to cut off her hair and give her a perfect mohawk and then they're they're making out, and I don't really like that. Uh, I do like the last page. It makes me sad that Brew is it looks like going to be more back to being a basic brood and mindless, at least for now. I'm I'm hoping it's a fake out um, because in the last page, finally Brew wakes up, but he lunges on Edie and is ready to eat her or an, an attacker and killer. I'm interested to see where it goes from there. Again, it was a bit of an inconsistent issue, a little bit weird, but I gave it a seven and a half out of ten. It is what it is. And I gotta apologize. I've been saying it is what it is so many times this episode. It is ridiculous. So I apologize, but it is what it is. <laughs> uh, next up is Wonder Woman number sixteen. Uh, oh, sorry. You know, I just realized Wolverine and the X Men twenty four. I did not in any way say who wrote it. Uh, let me just pull that back up. Uh, Wolverine and the X Men number twenty four. Believe they are, it was written by uh, Jason Aaron. Let's see here. I'm, I'm, I'm just. I hate that cover with Wolverine and Storm kissing. Not. I'm not a fan of that. Not at all. It looks. The artwork at, at certain points looks like Bradshaw's artwork, but it's actually by David Lopez with art with inks by Alvaro Lopez, with uh, colors by Maury Hollowell. Sorry, Hollowell with James Campbell. Um, especially there's some shots of Brew and Edie, and I thought that looked a lot like Bradshaw, but it wasn't. Um. So the next book is Wonder Woman number. 16 uh did not really care for this i gave this a five um i just don't know where is this book going like and what's happening like you have or orion here you have a lot of different plot elements i just don't feel like it makes a consistent concise narrative and i'm not a big fan of how i think i really liked last issue this issue didn't do it for me at all uh it's written by brian azarella with artwork by cliff chiang um I don't know. I like the artwork, and I like how Wonder Woman looks. I just found um, there's certain panels with... I even forget who the, who the character was, but when you have that god fighting against those monsters, it felt very uh, Walt Simonson, not necessarily in a great way, in a good way. I did like the parts with Orion, uh, but I just found the book in general to be very inconsistent and all over the place, and that didn't really work for me as much, so I gave that a 5 out of 10. As we head into the last, I guess, two books, we got X-Men Legacy number five, which I thought was great. Um, I did not expect to enjoy this nearly as much as I did, but it was really, really solid book. Um, I like the idea that 
Legion is kind of, kind of connecting with the character. So him connecting with Blindfold is really cool and kind of seeing how he's been set up with regards to uh, these two kids he's been hanging out with. Uh, Simon Spurrier wrote up with artwork by Jorge Molina. Uh, this was really kind of cool. And again, the artwork was fantastic. I thought it was really, really cool. I liked how he basically you know gives a distraction to the X-Men so he can kind of find out more about Blindfold. This isn't really a, an issue of Legion, sorry, of legacy in terms of it focusing on legion himself this is a book about blindfold but i don't know much about the character and i thought that i really like getting a glimpse of of this character and her history and the idea that legion and her are kind of going to be arch enemies but i kind of like that they have this weird kind of thing or they could have a thing and it, i think seeing legion experience this is also interesting as well so i gave that a an 8 out of 10 because i actually found that really fun and uh the last book is young avengers number one uh I really kind of like this. I was re ready to not like this. Um, it's very different from any other version of Young Avengers. That much is obvious. Uh, you've got, I guess, Miss America is going to be on the team with Hulkling, I guess with Wiccan, um, and with Novar, Kate Bishop, and uh, who else am I missing? Oh, Kid Loki, obviously. I'm um, not really sure what they're going to do with this and how it's going to work yet, but yeah, the book opens with Kate Bishop having, I guess, stuff with uh, Novar. I really like how Kate Bishop's been written in Hawkeye, so I'm hoping it's still pretty good here. I think that she'll be written in a relatively consistent tone. Uh, Novar, I guess he doesn't care about his girlfriend anymore, uh, or maybe the, the writer just doesn't really care about that aspect of the character, but I do like Novar kind of confronting... You know, that he's been kind of kicked out by everyone, but, uh, and now they're fighting Skrulls, and kind of cool, fun stuff. <laughs> I kind of enjoy it. And there's this great panel of, uh, of her kind of having narration boxes with all this action, and I really kind of dug that part. Um, so this is, sorry, this is written by Kieran Gillen, with artwork by Jamie McCauley, with Mike Norton. Um, I really liked how Hulkling was written here, I thought he was kind of sneaking out of the house to be a hero, and how Wiccan doesn't like this, but then... You know, Wiccan realizes, you know, maybe Hulkling's right. Maybe you know, he he hasn't been giving enough thought to how much, like, Hulkling has had to deal with because he lost his parents, and he's never really had his parents, and his mom died. And so then he decides to do something that probably shouldn't do, uh, which is to bring, uh, search realities and bring Wiccan's mom back to life from one of those realities. Uh, there's a little bit here with, um... Miss America and, and Loki, but not a lot. Um, I'm interested to see how this team ends up coming together as a cohesive unit. Interested to see what they do with the uh, cliffhanger here with regards to the mom. From And it, it kind of reminds me of uh, a saying from Once Upon a Time, the TV show on ABC, that ma you know magic has a price. You know everything, There's always a cost for everything you do in magic. So he tries to do something good for Hulkling, but it ends up going very wrong. Um, I give this an 8 out of 10. It was a solid debut. I wasn't expecting as much from it. I actually really like the artwork by McKelvey and Norton. Uh, it's obviously not going to be the artwork by Jamie, uh, sorry, Jim, um, Jim Chung on the first, I guess, Children's Crusade in the first Young Avengers volume. Um, and plus, that book also had some of the most vibrant colors I've ever seen. So it was a combination of these amazing pencils and inks, uh, but also really vibrant and, and stellar colors. Whereas here, we don't have that. But I still enjoyed it. It was a good book. Uh, I've read online where some people are saying it's very indie-ish. And I guess that's kind of true. It does, definitely has that kind of flavor. Uh, but I, I really dug this and really enjoyed it. So...
that was that was a fun read. So the books I didn't get a chance to get to this week uh, were Astonishing X-Men 58, Blue Beetle 16, Catwoman 16, DC Universe Presents 16, Deadpool number 4, Deadpool Illustrated number 1, JSA Liberty Files, The Whistling Skull number 2, Legion of Superheroes 16, Punisher Nightmare 4, Superboy Annual 1, Supergirl 16, Sword of Sorcery 4, Ultimate Comics Ultimates number 20. Um, so thank you for listening. This has been episode 47, looking at comics that came out on the 23rd of January. Um, make sure to tune in to our episode 48 coming out on, I guess, Wednesday the 30th, uh, which will be our, uh, Talking Hero Clicks episode. And then, uh, next week we'll have episode 49, which will be the next review episode for comics that come out on the 30th. And then after that, I don't know what it's going to be yet, but we're going to have our third, our 50th episode, and hopefully we'll be doing something cool and special. Maybe not. Who knows? Maybe it'll just be a regular episode. Maybe it'll just be me here talking, talking, talking. No, I promise. We'll have special guests. <laughs> or at least one of my regular guests. Uh, so thanks for joining me. I I am Adam Chapman, your host. And uh, if you want to send me any kind of email or feedback for the show, I always appreciate getting uh, letters of what, what you think the show could do differently, what it could do better. Uh, or even suggestions for what you'd like to see in the future. Uh, you can email us at comicshenanigans at gmail.com. You can also like us on Facebook, and I promise by next week my voice will be back to normal and I won't feel as hoarse as I do right now. So thank you for joining us for Comic Shenanigans, and we will see you next time.